welcome to Charity Chat episode 7, Major Donors. I'm Sam Davies and I'm here as always with my colleague, friend and collaborator, Vicky Bratherton, aka VB. Hello. Hello. Hey. Uh, so today we're going to be talking to you about um, major donor giving and we're going to help you to define what a high value or major donor might be to your charity, where you can find them and where major donors come from, how you can engage these donors, which is obviously key to, uh, to furthering your charity's income and looking at taking a look at some high value fundraising products from across the sector and giving you tips on how you can make your major donor appeal stand out and we're going to be looking at some examples uh, from the sector of innovative asks and approaches. So a jam-packed, um, jam-packed session today. One of, the, one of the things I read which was kind of a, uh, a fairly startling article from way back in 1889 from the North American Review um, they published an article by a chap called Andrew Carnegie and in that article Andrew Carnegie said the man who dies leaving behind many millions of available wealth which was his to administer during life will pass away unwept unhonored and unsung no matter to what uses he leaves the dross which he cannot take with him. Of such as these, the public verdict will be, the man who dies thus, rich, dies disgraced. And that whole article, that was just the kind of a couple of lines of it, but that, there's a long article there, and essentially it was encouraging people to give their wealth when they were alive, and that was um, really talking about major donors. It was. I mean, Andrew Carnegie was one of the original uh, philanthropists, wasn't he? I mean, he's Carnegie Hall named after him, but he did yeah. a lot during his lifetime to, to further and to support um, particularly the poor, as was as was the uh, the case in those days. Philanthropists from the Victorian era um, in America and in the UK specifically, most of their, their interests lay in supporting the poor to drag themselves out of poverty. I mean, we looked at those in our international development podcast a few a couple of months ago poverty is one of the areas but now charities can work in all sorts of areas but he yes he was one of the pioneers so and as you say it was a stark stark statement to make especially for someone who was so respected at the time but it obviously had had influence that does kind of sum up this idea though doesn't it that um, people out there with lots of wealth wealth that we can only dream of phoebe um, they are looking to do something with that money that will make an impact. That you know they've they've got enough wealth. They're not thinking about what to do with that money for themselves, but what they can do to make a real impact to benefit others, which is fantastic. And I think the whole major donor fundraising is looking at how we can provide a service to that desire to give um, large gifts to uh, worthy causes. There was one quote that I came across that said, you know, we give our money where we give our time. That was a, something that um, a mega wealthy donor said to said to a fundraiser. And I think it's important to recognise when we're talking about major donors that cold approaches to major donors very rarely are successful. Um, I mean, it's not, you know, categorically true. There, there may be some cold approaches, but there has to be some sort of building of a relationship between the major donor and the charity. And that often involves a major donor fundraiser themselves or your fundraising team to make major donors or potential major donors aware of exactly where their money will go and what it will help to achieve. That's important across the board for fundraisers, but it's particularly important for major donor fundraisers so that they can demonstrate the impact of the 
you know, that large gifts can make for their charity that will set them apart from, from others in the marketplace. Major donors can come from, from anywhere, really. And major, a major gift will mean different things to different charities. So to larger charities, you're probably looking at, you know, sort of tens or hundreds of thousand pound gifts. They're, they're what they consider to be a major gift. Whereas to a smaller charity, a gift of a thousand pounds or even 500 pounds may be, you know, a, a, a significant gift and enough for them to, to you know, want to get the, to know their donor better. In terms of where they come from, Obviously, there are, you know, the rich, the rich and famous of the world. Those who are on the Sunday Times rich list are often on the, you know, are on the sort of the wish list of those who are in the fundraising sector. So you have to look within your existing network. So your volunteers, your existing database of fundraisers. Now, it could be that um, there are major donors just sitting on your database. You may not know they're there. They may have given uh, to an appeal, you know, given £10 to an appeal six years ago. And you can pick them out using wealth screening, um, or if you have a good prospect researcher, you can you know pick these people out um, and look at all sorts of things like their where they live, um, what they do for a living, um, that can help you identify that they have potential to make make large gifts. There's no exact science behind it, and even those people who are on your database who aren't particularly wealthy, they may you know they may have be, they may be well networked, they may be. They're, especially if they're volunteers or people that are very attuned to your cause, it's in their interests as well to, to put you in touch with, with wealthy people. And you can, you know, as long as you can build up the trust that with that person that you will do, you'll be sensitive and you'll act appropriately with the information that they give you. Um, it can be make for a very fruitful relationship, especially if you're going through someone who has a personal connection to the cause and can you know, demonstrate the need and the impact that a, a large gift will have. So these people, you know, as you say, we find them on our, potentially on the charity's database or volunteering or even as a trustee. Trustees are, a, 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 you know, are often one of the best resources for, for finding, you know, major donor networks. It may not be that your trustees are major donors in themselves, but they may be well networked and know others within, you know, their other walks of life, in their business world, in um, in their social life. They may know people who do have the capacity to give and um, having someone uh, who is at the trustee level um, behind you can really, um, you know, bring dividends. One of the things I saw, I think it was on um, the gailperry.com website, was this stat that 89% of high net worth individuals volunteer with non-profits. And um, talking about trustees, they are volunteers, aren't they? So they're, they're examples of that. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, the, probably a lot of the high net worth individuals that of that 89%, and that's a huge figure, yeah, probably do sit on boards of trustees. So as we, as we talked in our trustee podcast, they are, you know, they are a really valuable resource and, um, and you know, need to be checked with, um, checked with respect and, and with love. How do you think we can go about encouraging major unrestricted gifts? Well, there are many ways you can do that. I think it it very much depends on the the type of person that you're approaching. So if you've done your research into major donors, you'll know where their interests lie. It may be that you know your best chance of engaging with a major donor and getting a gift out of them is to you know pitch to them a particular project that your charity is working on that you know may be of interest so for example if you are approaching someone who um has an i you know has a, a business in it um and they're very wealthy from that if you're 
pitching something to them which may be around you know an innovative new um, mobile application that is going to support your supporters that may be the only way that you are going to get into you know into that person's sphere that they will sort of open open their their little black book and open their checkbook to you however if you can demonstrate effectively and many charities do do this if you can demonstrate the the value of an unrestricted gift mm. to them um, then so much better a few examples of charities that that do this often do so through high value fundraising products so we talked about this or briefly mentioned at the top of the program so high value fundraising products can often be a good way of securing unrestricted gifts through things like uh, giving clubs so for example the cystic fibrosis trust has a, a giving club called the 65 roses club and members donate a thousand pounds or more annually and the trust and those are all unrestricted gifts but they get regular newsletters and um, an annual reception that they come to and can listen to you know researchers that are working in cystic fibrosis they'll hear from our chief executive etc etc so that's one example of ways you can do that and there are other examples in the sector as well for example there's the tiktok club from great ormond street hospital cancer research uk have the catalyst club they have a target of raising 10 million pounds towards personalized cancer treatment now that's not you know technically unrestricted but it's also not specifically restricted to one project it's to you know a body of their of their work and unicef have their global guardians as well so they get gifts of five thousand pounds or more annually minimum of three years from their global guardians and those gifts are unrestricted so it's all about how you can demonstrate the impact without being specific about it so actually you can use examples of you know lots of areas of your work that might encourage people to to donate and to not say I wanted to go to you know this ward of this hospital for example Mm. but we'll actually say do you know what we trust you to spend my you know our hard-earned cash um in the way that you see fit it can take a long time can't it to to get to um from the point of talking to somebody for the first time as potentially you know seeing them as a major donor to actually then getting their gift of you know a large donation so that trust and building that trust is is kind of half the challenge I guess it is time consuming. There's no such thing as a quick win in major donor fundraising. Depending on who you talk to, there are, you know, they can say it could take a minimum of 18 months or you know up to three years to to successfully cultivate a gift from a major donor. And that will depend on the individual that you're working with, their personal circumstances at the time when you um, approach them, and their personal interest in the charity as well. So it's, it's there's no exact science behind it, but there are you know models that you can follow for success. I like this quote from this uh, American writer called Gerald Panat, and he said that uh, big donors are turned off by endlessly needy causes, but they're captivated by the opportunity, the challenge, the magic of being able to do something special. And I suppose that leads us into kind of understanding what is it that major donors are looking for? You know, how do we, how can we appeal to major donors with our causes? That's always a trickier question to, to try and answer. And as I said earlier, being very targeted in your approach. So often it helps if you have um, someone who is a, either a volunteer or a, a you know, a, a dedicated fundraiser or supporter of your cause that can make that introduction for you. So they can demonstrate that I give to this charity or I I donate my time my money and my voice to this charity here's here's why I do it and want to tell you more about it and introduce you to you know the fundraisers at the charity there's a really good 
quote here, I think, from uh, Dame Stephanie Shirley, who herself was a philanthropist. And she said, you have to find the person first and establish that they really are a potential donor. Uh, writing is a waste of time because it's so impersonal. It's a question of building a personal relationship with them. And uh, she also went on in that article, which we'll list on our website, to talk about the UK's 16 million 40 to 60-year-old baby boomers who apparently own 80% of the nation's wealth. And she said that that's a group that charities should be looking to um, for kind of future philanthropists. There's a good article in uh, Know How Nonprofit. They say, um, standing out to major donors, um, influence is crucial in all that a fundraiser undertakes. The five P's of a good model to look at. Passion, being emotionally engaged. Donors need to be passionate about the cause you are representing to take them on a journey to the heart of how you help change lives. Uh, Proposal is the second P, define the problem, issue and suggest solution. And uh, this is your case for support, so how can they help you to solve this problem? Uh, Preparation, so what you do, what do you want outcomes to be? So how are they gonna see the measure of the success of the project that they're investing in? Persuasion, so build that rapport. And we talked about love letters already. We've talked about engaging with uh, your major donors or rather maybe not you, but getting somebody like a trustee or a chief exec or a head of research um, to engage with um, engage with them. So they will be the ones persuading them. And persistence, and this is one I suppose you've got to be a bit careful with, but um, intelligent flexibility, being able to change and adapt, but ultimately to uh, get to your goal with that supporter, with that donor. And uh, you should have a plan for all of this with each of the uh, each of the major donors that you're talking to, um, which is you can often call that a stewardship plan. So how you bring that major donor along with you on that uh, on that emotional journey. Once you've uh, you've identified who these major donors are, and you've um, you've got to know them a little bit, and you've brought them along into understanding what it is that your charity is trying to achieve and what you could do with their donation then we come down to the tough bit don't we the ask what should we do about this ask vb if you've done if you've done the the first bits well the ask should actually come naturally and you know i I went to a a training course a little while ago and the the ask she was a little bully around it and she said as long as you've laid out the groundwork first the the ask should actually uh, they should actually come to you and offer and say how can I how can I help so the ask should be quite easy but it is always a you know a different a difficult and awkward um, situation to come to come into so obviously you know you've told them about the charity tell them about what their gift can achieve there's a lots of advice on different websites about what to do but knowing when to shut up is a is a real skill because it the temptation can be to just keep on you know waffling on and on and on and saying your support is so you know would mean so much to us and blah 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 mm. but actually just to put all the cards on the table and sit back and keep your mouth shut and just see what they say is it's a scary thing but it um it will get you where you want to want to be listening is absolutely key mm. so making sure that you've done the listening in you know in your previous conversations but also listening after you've made that ask so if they say no you know exactly why they didn't and that you can you know be ready with answers as well so make sure that you know absolutely everything there is about say if you know if it's for a particular project you know everything about that project and if you don't you can you know quickly find the answers and you know 
don't expect them to say yes straight away. You know, it's a big decision, especially if it's a large financial ask. So they may want to go away, talk to their family about it, their accountant, their business partner, whoever it is that they, you know, they, they'll be spending the money. And you know, don't have to close the deal on that day, the moment you make the ask. You know, it's just not getting a no is um, should be seen as a, as a bonus. So, um, yeah, and rehearsing the pitch as well, making sure that you've got everything nailed is, uh, is really, really important. There was a really good interview, which I saw, I think it was on LinkedIn, and again, we'll try and link this through, but it was by Helen Walker, and she was interviewing a, um, a chap called Bill Abraham, who was Director of Development at the University of London. And he said something which really stayed with me, and that was that in major donor fundraising, the amount is rarely the issue. It needs to be for a project that the donor believes in and that the institution can show is needed. And I think that was really um, quite inspiring to me because we think, I suppose, in terms of money, don't we? We often think in terms of what should we be asking for and what can we do with that money. But I suppose cutting through all of that is what is it the um, donor wants to give to and and how can we show that that gift, that investment, r- will really make a difference? They're the kind of key things from the donor's perspective. Absolutely, and it's all about getting, having your case for support, you know, w- as watertight as possible. Mm. Um, because as you say, you know, the, the amount is rarely the issue. If you've done your research effectively... We spoke to Amy Sweeting a few weeks ago. Um, Amy Sweeting is Head of High Value Relationships at Imperial War Museums. Amy's worked in fundraising for the past five years and volunteered and worked in the charity sector since 2008. Amy, what do charities typically class as high value donors? This is quite a difficult question to answer because it completely varies depending on the organisation. I would say a high value donor is really someone that's got the potential to either make or influence a gift which would have a significant impact on the work of your organisation. So, I mean, it can vary anywhere between £500 and and £5,000, £10,000. I say typically it's probably about £5,000 constitutes as a high value donor. Um, But like I say, there's no right or wrong level for that. Why do charities communicate with major donors differently from other donors? Uh, Because fundraising is about relationships at all levels, um, from someone who donates £10 to someone who donates a million pounds to something specific. You've kind of motivated each of those in some way to give to your charity. Um, So it's important to remember that many major donors don't start out as major donors. They start out as smaller donors. and They're not going to jump in straight away with a lead gift. So you need to make sure that kind of everyone remember everyone has the potential to be a major donor um, and that's where your research comes in handy to find out who who you kind of need special treatment and who might not and um, i say cultivating a high value donor is it's a bit like dating really you're kind of getting to know them with the intention of a, a long-lasting relationship and something like that can't can't be rushed it requires patience and a quite a lot of commitment and yeah because high value donors they're seeing it now more as an investment as they are kind of a a duty so if they are making an investment, they want to feel that they've got a strong relationship prior to, to that commitment. So I think that that's a different communication to regular donors because it can take you know months and even years to get a donor, a high value donor, to the point where they can they naturally want to make a, a large gift. What is the process of identifying and then communicating with high value donors? 
uh, lots of ways to identify high value donors, research, a lot of research using your database and using online prospecting tools through your current supporters, your clients, your volunteers, your trustees, looking at kind of giving circles and friend circles, looking at people's career positions and their postcode. And, you know, if you do all those things, you'll soon have a, a high value donor prospect list and you can then concentrate on those with the biggest potential first and, and go down there. And then I would say it's time to plan because uh, relationships need to be nurtured and you need to understand their motivation and their capacity to give and then cultivate them, which relies on consistent activity and personalized communications with them and, you know, strategy for each major donor prospect. And then following the seven steps of solicitation, which I'm sure everyone's already heard of. And you need to also remember that each high value donor is completely different. And so they need to be communicated with in different ways. Some of them might like one email a week to be updated on what's going on. Some of them might like one report a month, one report a year even. So it's just making sure that you know that and you've asked them how they how they want to be communicated with and, and make sure that you're responding to them in, in the right way. How are charities changing the ways in which they're communicating with high-value donors? I mean, fundraising is changing. I mean, fundraising is, all, is constantly changing and so are high-value donors. And as I said before, high-value donors, they see their gift as more of an investment, particularly as more and more are coming out of the business world. And we really need to tailor that, that relationship and that ask accordingly. So sometimes I'll be using new terminology and I'll be using new presentation styles and just kind of making sure you're showing the impact and the return on investment of their gift. And quite often you know, they want to see the finances and they want to see all that information. So be honest with them, be open with them and show them what they want to see making sure that you know donor centered communication is absolutely key you need to build the relationship with the donor and and really gain their trust and the way that they communicate with you is also going to be different there's a lot kind of a lot more social media a lot there's a younger generation of don't high value donors coming in and a lot more female high value donors coming in who are going to be communicating in a different way and are going to you know be reading different articles and and looking at different different things to find out their information. So we need to kind of make sure we're keeping up with the trends and, and, and what's going on there. And I would say that um, there's a lot more individuals who are really taking a hands-on approach to philanthropy now and donating kind of their talent and their experience and their skills um, just as much as they are their money. And I think research has shown, there was an article recently that um, uh, donors who volunteer, they they give a lot, lot more. So if your organisation can do something like that, then uh, then definitely try and get that done. But yeah, I would say just making sure you know who your donor base is and you're communicating them, with them in a way uh, that that they need to be really. Amy Sweeting, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. No problem at all. Oh, that was um that was a great interview with Amy there. She um she brings up a lot of pertinent points. Um, one thing that I just wanted to bring up uh, while it's fresh in my mind, she mentioned the seven steps of solicitation. So for those who aren't familiar with it, I mean these are things that we've talked around already. But um but most major donor fundraisers will they have seven or sometimes eight steps of solicitation. So I'll run through the ones that we use at the at the trust. So we the first stage is identify. So that's finding someone that you think might well be a major donor and be able to give a large gift to your charity. The second is to research, to uh, confirm your suspicions, um, find out more about um, their wealth, how much they are able to give, and also what their where their interests may lie. Uh, plan, that could be where you're getting to the stage where you're trying to match up um, their interests and their um, 
area that they like to give in to to your charitable aims and objectives and also the projects that you have running at the moment four is cultivation so that's that's often the trickiest part is trying to get um in front of those pe- that person for um for a meeting you need persistence to get a meeting in with them you may use you know volunteers supporters and um, people that are warm to your charity to get that meeting in place so once you've had that first meeting that's when the building of the relationship really starts and you don't necessarily have to have a meeting you can start you know start building that relationship over email over phone and um that's where you can come lay lay out lay the groundwork make sure they know who your charity is who you are and what you do and why why you're contacting them effectively mm-hmm. then the fifth stage is um the, usually the ask stage so that's when you actually you know put all the cards on the table and say look this is how much we need in order to run this project. We'd love you to be a part of it. Then six, or this could be missed out if you if you are successful, the closing stage. So that's where if you've made the ask, you then confirm whether your ask has been successful or not. If it hasn't, you can go back to the drawing board. Um, if it's a, a no, not now, that's you know not the end of the world. It may just mean that they're not in a position to give now, but they may be in a position to give later. So you can put them put them on the back burner. Or if it's a no, not never, you can reevaluate um, your sort of research process and see if there are any areas where it could have gone better for next time. The seventh stage is always the thanks stage. So if you have been successful in securing a gift, that's when you do the big thanks, making sure that it's appropriate um, for the level of donor. So obviously a, thank, a personal thank you from you is, is welcome, but also making sure that the your chief executive or a trustee or one of the, re, the researcher who's working on a particular project that they are working for, it may be more appropriate for the thank, thank you to come from them. And then some, uh, some charities also have an eighth stage, which is stewardship. So if they have given to a particular project, keeping them updated with what that project is doing, making sure they get warm that you are, keep them up to date with what the charity is doing so that you don't lose them um, and they never hear from you again. Obviously, that is not the desired effect. So that's not um, good major donor stewardship. So those are the seven or eight steps of solicitation the trust uses. They may vary slightly from charity to charity, but that's the, the overall framework. I know how non-profits were really helpful to me with my, my research for this show. And just going on what you said about thanking the donor, um, there was a, a piece of advice from know-how non-profit about that people should be thanked uh, very quickly and that it should come ideally from the chief executive or the chair of trustees or by one of the people on the front line so um, a scientist for example uh, think about the reason why they donated and tailor your response accordingly so that was some pretty good advice and um, and on, on the stewardship uh, bits there was just this um, general theme about you know keeping um, donors warm ensuring that they feel a part of what they've invested in and um, and this trustworthiness that you were talking about. So I suppose that includes reporting back on progress on, on the kind of the project that you're, you've taken funding from them for if it's restricted. And there were some interesting uh, stats here from The Guardian Online. It said that more than two-thirds will consider a request if it comes from someone they know and respect compared to less than a third when approached by a fundraiser. And that was a a stats on, um, on major donor giving. So two-thirds of uh, major donors uh, will consider a request if it comes from someone they know and respect. So that was quite, mm. a, uh, quite a high percentage, I thought. Pretty good. Absolutely, and it just uh, you know sort of compounds um, what I was saying earlier about um, ensuring that you know volunteers and supporters who are already warm to the organisation that you work for, uh, that they are, you know, 
make sure that if they are making those introductions, keep them keep them updated, make, bring them along on the journey with you. So it's not just, you know, you the fundraiser talking to the major donor. You'll probably do end up doing a lot of your talking through the volunteer or the, the connection, uh, the person that's connected to the major donor. And so making sure that they're fully briefed and fully aware of what's going on is really, really important as well. And also there was one other thing from Guardian Online where it said that, again, from this survey they did of major donors or philanthropists, it said that major donors are deeply aware of and hurt by the common perception that their giving is driven more by ego than generosity. The main reason they give, identified in numerous studies, is because of a personal commitment to making a difference. So I suppose mm. that's something that we should all be aware of, especially when talking to major donors, that they don't necessarily want to see their name in lights over their donation. It could just be a, a simple thank you and uh, them being kept updated about how it's helping. Definitely. I think that's that's really a really important p- point to make. You don't have to sort of offer them offer them the world in return for their donation just you know keep an eye on the conversation and monitor it and if you get the feeling from them that actually they're looking for something a little bit more if they want their name in lights or they want to you know a wing of hospital named after them for example then um, and if that's the way to get the significant gift and it you know the gift the size of the gift matches that um, that accolade then absolutely do it but um but yeah do be careful in in offering that because it it may uh, it may give them the wrong impression that you have of them, if that makes sense. That makes sense. So that's it, guys. Um, let us know what you think of um, this month's podcast. Any questions or additions would be very much welcome. And um, you can visit us at charitychat.org.uk. Our Facebook page is charity underscore podcast. And, um, and we're also on Twitter as well, under Charity Chat. So please do let us know what you think. Uh, we are always looking for contributors, so... Um, Please do get in touch. We'd like to uh, thank um, our guest, Amy Sweeting, Head of High Value Relationships at Imperial War Museums, and also our sponsors, Red Dog Music, for sponsoring our podcast kit, Forest of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and will be playing us out, and RR Yard Photography for um, giving, providing us lovely images for our website, charitychat.org.uk. Next month, Phoebe, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about health and safety and safeguarding policies for charities. So potentially a dry topic, but we'll try and make it as exciting as possible for you. We certainly will. We'll cheer it all up. And um, (laughs) fantastic. Well, lovely talking with you, BB. Likewise. I hope you enjoyed the show and um, we'll speak to you next month. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.